You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sharpen your pencils, get your notebooks out, it's time for the Star Seminar. Here are your hosts, Rebel Rouser and Danny Phantom. Welcome one and all to the Star Seminar. We are your pigskin professors. I'm Rebel Rouser and this is the great Danny Phantom. Danny, how are you today, sir? I am doing well. It's a little cold here in Oregon. Um, It's pretty chilly this morning, but uh, doing all right. Uh, You know, at work today, something interesting happened. Uh, a couple of my co-workers were talking about nicknames that people had around the workplace. And um, turns out my nickname is Cowboy Dan. And not to be confused with Cowboy Dan, the little uh, balloon-making guy that didn't show up in, uh, for Steve Martin's kid in the movie Parenthood. But uh, <laughs> And, you know, I understand why I got they, they call me that, you know, because I pretty much wear cowboy stuff and everything about me as cowboys but i was kind of like defending myself and you know saying is that really the best you can come up with and uh strangely enough as i was making my case my phone rang and it just happened to be the ringtone of the theme to the show dallas if you remember i'm sure you do and uh, (laughs) that was always one of my favorite things to hear when i was a kid you know even though i didn't watch the show I would always walk in and just for that little bit where they would show the Cowboys stadium. Um, so, I mean, that was that. So they, they got, yeah. Okay. I'm a, obviously Cowboy Dan is the right answer, but um, I, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a fun uh, TV theme song for me. Do you have a, a favorite TV theme song, Rebs? Oh man, that's a really interesting question. Um I mean, I have a bunch of them. Most of them are old school. I think there, I think there was a an era where there were some really like in the '60s and early '70s, some really really great TV theme songs. I I think my favorite one of all time, and I'm on record on Twitter saying this is Sanford and Son. It's just so funky. Um, I love I love the theme song to Sanford and Son. Uh, I love the theme song to Hawaii Five O. You know, it makes me want to like grab a, a longboard and go out there and surf in a school of sharks. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> trying to think if there's some other ones i mean there's a bunch of there's a bunch of like you know the the sort of classics from the 80s but it's it's so it's those old ones that that i love best so besides dallas do you have a do you have another one that's at the at the top of your list yeah you know i really like the cheers theme song the intro yeah i mean besides it being just a really great show um it's just you know i i I love the the song and it's too a, a little bit it kind of reminds me of of our Cowboys family, you know, it's like, 
you know, making the way in the world today takes everything you got. <laughs> Taking a break from all your worries sure would help. And that's what I hope people are doing when they come to listen to us. They take a break from all their worries, you know, because um, you want to go where everybody knows your name, you know, and just, uh, <laughs> where your troubles are all the same. Or, But, yeah, so I, I, I'm a big fan of the Cheers theme song. Fair enough, fair enough, yeah. Great, 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 uh, great show, great theme song. Um, so speaking of great shows, uh, I wanted to share with everybody a little bit about what we got going on today here on our show. Uh, this is going to be a show packed with fun and games. Today, we're going to talk with our special guest, John Williams, one of my favorite uh, Twitter followers, a guy I'm really, really uh, excited to sort of get to know on the podcast. We'll be talking about Dak Prescott's career, making some predictions about where it might end up. Uh, and I hope we're going to have a fierce and very fun debate about the Cowboys offseason woes. Uh, but before we get started, I just wanted to mention that if you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging the Boys podcast network. Leave us a rating, write a review, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever's clever. Tell us what you think, anything you would like to see us do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, Cowboys Hot Topics, favorite draft prospects, or what is your favorite TV show theme song, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. I am at DannyPhantom24. And Rabs is at Rabble Rouser, spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. Uh, it is my succinct pleasure to welcome the great John Williams. John is a former writer over at Inside the Star, where he wrote about the Cowboys, and now he's working as a managing editor at the Sooners Wire and as a podcast host on Locked on Sooners. And for my money, he's one of the best and sanest Twitter follows out there. John, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on with you guys. Like I told you before the show, uh, two of my favorite writers from BTB back in the day and two of the, of the group of guys, along with KD and Joey Ikes and several others that really inspired me to get started on this journey. And, and here we are nine years later from when I wrote my first fan post in, I guess, 2014, so eight years later. So yeah, man, it's, it's cool to be on with you guys. And I'm excited to, to talk some Dallas Cowboys. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Even though there's no football going on, I love off-season football. I don't know why. I just do. It's amazing. I'm with you. I'm 100% more interested in the off-season every year. It's really strange. And I think that's largely because it's, it's the season of hope, yep. you know, and, and all possibilities are on the table. And that's, yeah. that's, that's really exciting. So I'll tell you what. We're going to talk about the Cowboys. We're going to start by playing a game. The game is called It's Most Like. So here's how it works. Uh, we'll name a player, a play, a season, what have you, and um, offer a couple of comparisons here and then discuss which of the two the, the thing in question is most like and why. So um, a little over a week ago, John tweeted, if the Cowboys would have done for Romo what the Rams did for Stafford, he would have won a Super Bowl. Really hope I don't have to say the same thing about Dak 10 years from now. So this tweet got me thinking, and I think it's actually the tweet that motivated me to invite you this week because I really wanted to talk about this. It got me thinking, what will we be saying about Dak 10 years from now? Okay, so today's it's most like topic is what can we do in terms of predicting Dak's career? So to do this or to, to, to use a framework, we're going we're gonna to look at pro football references, similar players score, which generates a list of players whose career was of a similar quality and shape. And the cool thing about this is they change it every year, depending on the newest inputs. And so 
um, as a as a player's career advances, um, the the players who their career is most like at that particular point also changes and shifts. So uh, as a way to kind of, kind of give you some context for this, let me share with you who the players uh, who had who had, had similar careers in terms of quality and shape to Dax were after Dax's fourth year in the league. Here's the signal callers who had had similar careers after their first four years in the league. Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, Steve Grogan, great Patriots quarterback for any of you old heads, Joe Namath, Carson Palmer, Peyton Manning, Aaron Brooks, uh, Saints quarterback, actually uh, Packers and then Saints, uh, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, and then the great Steve Zorn, the left-handed quarterback for the Seahawks back in the day. One of the things that's really interesting to me about that group is there's a lot of guys who were like first round, or not even first round draft picks, top, like number one picks in the draft who started early in their careers because they were the number one picks in the draft and had a good career early. There's also a couple other guys like Aaron Brooks um, who just had amazing early careers. After six years, the people that uh, PFR sort of compares to Dak is very different, very different group of guys. We've got Josh Freeman. We've got Carson Wentz. <laughs> Shudder. We've got Blake Bortles. Uh, Vince Ferragamo, who led the Rams to a Super Bowl where they uh, got you know, pretty well handled by the, by the Steelers uh, in like 79. Um, Scott Mitchell. Uh, who sort of came out of nowhere for the Lions, you may remember, and they got a big free agent contract with uh, the Dolphins and ended up doing m- not much. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, Joe Cap to go old school with the old Vikings quarterback, Joe Cap, Jameis Winston, uh, Jay Fiedler, and Eric Hipple. Fiedler and Hipple put, played for the Dolphins um, and the Lions predominantly, respectively. So that's a very interesting set of lists. And it, it's possible that Um, one of the real big factors in this is that Dak missed the bulk of his fifth year. And so the people whose careers his uh, compares to most readily are different. It also may be that Dak's career is on a different trajectory. So I kind of wanted to use those two lists as a way to think about the trajectory of Dak's career. So where is Dak's career going? And are the Cowboys going to waste Dak's career and the prime of it in particular in the way that we saw them do with Romo. John, what do you think? Yeah, so reading over those, that first list, I'm like, okay, all right, all right. Peyton, Matt Ryan, you know, Russell Wilson, Cam, this is, this is pretty awesome. And then you get to that second list, you're like, ah, dang. I, I feel like that is, if you put that second list on Twitter, it would shut it down because it would set the world on fire. It's I see where you're coming from with the, you know, missing a lot of his fifth year missed, you know, time at different points elsewhere, missed some of his sixth year. It's the inconsistency of where the Cowboys have been over the last couple of years or last few years um, aren't all on Dak's shoulders, but some of it is, you got to put some of it on the quarterback because he's part of the team and they haven't gotten to where we've expected them to get to. And this last season in particular, it just, I don't know. It never really set right for at least the last half of it. And I don't think Dak is heading in the same trajectory as a Carson Wentz or Jamise Winston. I mean, Carson Wentz is about to probably find his third team um, in his short career. I mean, Jamise, he's on his second, but who knows if he's going to even be with the Saints. Um, I, I, if I'm looking at the two lists and there's a quarterback on there that seems most like what Dak has been so far, Matt Ryan is kind of the name that stands out to me. 
just a guy who has been highly productive. He has had teams in the playoffs. He has won division titles, but hasn't quite gotten to the Super Bowl level. It took Matt Ryan several years. I mean, just a few years ago, like well into his career before he was ever actually able to reach the Super Bowl. And I hope we don't have to wait that long for Dak. But now, I mean, we're what, 29 years old. We're in the middle of his prime. And there's no telling at what point this team is going to be able to get over the hump, especially in what seems to be a fairly deep NFC all the time. It's, it's interesting you talk about that because, you know, when we think about wasting the prime of a, of a quarterback's career, it immediately makes me think of that, that scene in, um, I'm trying to remember which, which show about the Cowboys it was where the Joneses are all gathered around a table and, and Jerry's expressing uh, his regret and disappointment that they basically, you know, screwed around and wasted the, the heart of Romo's, of Romo's career. And so like, they're very well aware of it, but um, it makes me wonder if they're, if they have the, the ability or the capacity to do something different the second time around. And that's particularly true given some of the things we're hearing that this may be a, sort of retooling year or they, they may be getting rid of some of their old quote unquote older stars to bring uh you know some some new folks in and concentrate on building a young a young team around run Dak now that he's now that he's making the big money uh danny i uh any thoughts about where our where our dear friend Dak might end up here any any predictions you'd care to make you know it's interesting when i started to to look at this i found that I agree with John, first off. That six-year list is terrible. I wanted no part of any quarterbacks on that list, and it's like I couldn't even find a way to, to draw a comparison. But I think that there is a good four-year comparison, and I also think that's – to me, I, I, I think that could be where he, his future lies too. And so my, my four-year comparison is going to be – and I'm going to just run off – a bunch of things I found that that are, that are similar between these two quarterbacks. So my four-year comparison is going to be Russell Wilson without a defense. So, <laughs> you know, with Russell Wilson, you know, they both of those guys were under the radar draft picks. You know, they had a pricey uh, veteran quarterback ahead of them. You know, Dak had Romo. Russell's case, it was actually they, they, a free agent signing of, of Matt Flynn, who was supposed to be the, the Seahawks quarterback when uh, – Wilson came on board. So both were buried behind the depth chart. I mean, um, you know, we know Dak was buried behind Romo, Kellen Moore, and maybe maybe Jamil Showers. I don't know where he actually, you know, sat in, in, in 2016. But then Wilson was behind Matt Flynn and then uh, Tavarius Jackson. Uh, they both balled in, in the preseason, their rookie year. They both got the starting gig. Um, Dak was helped along with injuries. But, uh, you know, um, whereas Wilson actually – you know, thought I'll earn the job. So they both were day one starters, super durable to start their career. Dak never missed a game through his first four seasons, just like Wilson. In fact, Wilson didn't miss a game until this past season. That's how durable um, Russell Wilson was. Uh, despite a good rookie season, they both lost in the divisional round of the playoffs by a game-winning field goal. They were both labeled as bus drivers early in their career. So here is their, their after three years statistics. This is just how how close they were. Touchdown passes, Dak had 85, Wilson 83. Interceptions, Dak 25, Russ 26. Passing yards, Prescott 11,820, Russell Wilson 11,827. 
Just seven more passing yards. Completion percentage, Dak was 66, Wilson 63. I mean, the biggest gap between those two after three years was that Dak started 32 and 16, while Wilson started 36 and 12. I mean, just four more wins. But in year four, they both reached 4,000 yards passing. They were also didn't eclipse 30 touchdowns their first three years, but that all changed in year four. But the similarities don't stop there. You know, they were both aided by a strong rushing attack early on. A Dak had Zeke and Wilson had Marshawn Lynch. And they both went through these receiver transitions. Um, Wilson started off with Sidney Rice and Golden Tate, both were pro, pro bowlers, by the way. Uh, then he transitioned to D Doug Baldwin, then Tyler Lockett, also both pro bowlers. And then was gifted the draft steal of DK Metcalf, also pro bowler. And then you have Dak, who started with Dez Bryant and Cole Beasley, and then to Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. And then he was gifted the draft day still in C.D. Lamb. And I just want to point out that both Metcalf and Lamb both have first names that sound like initials, and they both have last names that have a farm animal in it. So that's just an oddball observation that I found. Uh, and they're both mobile quarterbacks, and they're super high-character guys that the franchise just gladly embraces them as their quarterback. So those are the similarities I've, I've found with Russell Wilson. I think that what this means is that Dak's uh, girlfriend slash wife, I'm not sure if he's married, is going to one day be a celebrity because Russ's wife is a celebrity. I think that's exactly what all that means. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I think that one of the interesting things about both of these lists is that I, I mentioned this when I was reading out the list of, of guys who, um, you know, who PFR, compares Dak to after four years but it's also true of the other group which is that um, a lot of guys on on both lists are guys who were drafted uh, in the first round if not in the first overall pick and so you know one of the things that we sort of assume about a, a quarterback of, with that kind of pedigree is that they're gonna you know they're gonna start early and be successful early and so you know, one, one of the things I think, regardless of where Dak's career does go, one of the things I think we, we probably don't appreciate enough is the fact that for the 135th pick, they got a guy who came in and, and has performed throughout his career for all intents and purposes, like the first overall pick in the draft. You know, I, that's a, a remarkable thing. And it actually, it actually makes me think, I know it's taking this to, to the side a little bit here, but it actually makes me think, or it makes me wonder this. You know, the Cowboys get lauded a lot for being a really good drafting team, like for being one of the better drafting teams in the league. And I, I don't dispute that. I actually think that they are. And I frankly think that they've been a better drafting team under McCarthy than they were under Garrett, largely because McCarthy stays out of the way and, and lets their amazing and experienced scouting staff do their job. But one of the reasons that they can be a good drafting team is because for 14 years now, 15 years now, they've backdoored through pure luck into a, the kind of quarterback who performs as if he is the first overall pick in the draft without ever having to spend any draft capital to, to get that quarterback. And so um, it actually makes me wonder, are the Cowboys really a good drafting team or are they a team that has enjoyed and is maybe back to John's initial tweet, getting ready to squander 15 consecutive years of unbelievable quarterback luck. And that would be, that would be a, a tragedy, frankly. 
Yeah. And I, you know, I won't, I will say that they have done a few things to help Dak, like trading for Amari. Like that's something that, you know, and they try to do that same thing for Roy, you know, for Tony Romo with Roy Williams, the Amari trades worked out a lot better, but the, all the discussion about potentially releasing Amari, I feel like completely undone, undoes that. Like if you, if you let Amari go, regardless of how you feel about CD lamb or Michael Gallup or Cedric Wilson, those two guys, the last two I mentioned free agents this year, you undo the thing you did to help Dak. Like what, mm. what does that do for your offense moving forward? Does that make you better? No, it doesn't make you better. It makes you have to go now into the draft and spend draft capital on a wide receiver that may or may not be ready to contribute year one as most wide receivers in the rookie year aren't able to do. And so like, I, I will say they have done a few things, but at, at times it just feels like, like, all right, we're going to undo everything because we paid our quarterback. Now we're not going to have the capital quote unquote, the salary cap space to be able to continue to support him. That doesn't, it, that's not what anybody else in the league is doing. Everybody else in the league is trying to support their quarterback in different ways. Some teams are going to invest in the offensive line to help a um, immobile quarterback. Some are going to invest at the receiver position or on the defensive side. Like when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers who can break the pocket and his offensive line never gets called for holding. It's one of those things like the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, they'll take some shots here and there, but they're pretty more much gun shy and unwilling to spend that fifth round, sixth round pick to take a chance on a, a, a getting a Von Miller into your team to help bolster your defense. You know, like this team had a really, really good defense this last year. What kind of draft aid trades could they have made to help it get even better? Like, or not draft day trades, but like trade um, deadline day trades uh, that could have made it even better. Uh, you know, offense is kind of hard to do that because a lot of it's based on chemistry, like your offensive line. But the thing that they messed around with was the chemistry on the offensive line. That doesn't help your quarterback by switching out your left guard and messing with your center position and, and rotating your tackles. Like that doesn't help your, your quarterback feel comfortable and confident in what's going on in front of them. Like, and to me, that is a key factor in how well a quarterback can play is how comfortable does he feel in front of or behind his offensive line. And so much of that is based on uh, continuity and communication and chemistry, the three C's of offensive line play. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. 
That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I think we're going to get to a little bit more of that kind of discussion in in, in a moment um, with the next game we're going to play with our good friend John here. But before we do that, I, I wanted to just kind of revisit one thing. Um, when I read off that list of uh, quarterbacks who PFR is comparing Dak's career to after six years, I think we probably all collectively felt a little queasy, right? And so both of you kind of dismissed that um, and, and sort of said that just felt icky. But I would like to, to, to ask, is it conceivable in any way that Dak's career could end up, like the trajectory of his career could end up like one of those quarterbacks? I don't see it. I really don't. I, I think he's just been too good of a player um, over the first six years of his career. And even if he hasn't been, you know, always the elite level player, I feel like he's still heading in a good direction, you know, and, and like you said, we'll talk about some of the, the way the 2021 season ended up, but I mean, we've seen for the most part, a really, really good player, good to great player for mo- much of the six years of his career. Have there been some down games? Absolutely. But there, you, you're going to be hard pressed to find a quarterback who doesn't have a down game in a six year span. It just happens to everybody. Um, and so I, I still think he's on a really good trajectory and can be a, a quarterback that leads the Dallas Cowboys into the playoffs and deep into the playoffs. But as we know, it's not just about quarterback play. It takes a full roster of, of players to win championships. And as much as we want to throw it on the quarterback's shoulders, they can't do it by themselves. Not even Aaron Rodgers can do it by himself. That's just the reality of the situation. Quarterbacks don't carry teams. Teams carry teams. Yeah. Rabs, I, I will say that, I mean, to answer your question, is it possible? I mean, I don't like to deal in absolutes. So I would say that maybe it's possible, but it would really require Dak to play. Like, let's just say the second half Dak wasn't his calf or wasn't something that's not correct. So let's just say that's the new Dak. I mean, if, if we started to see more of that type of play, then suddenly Dak Prescott, to me, might not be a quarterback that I mean maybe he, he he might not be as bad as those terrible I mean Scott Mitchell really does that did he come up as but it would be maybe it would be a quarterback that is not as great as what we think Dak Prescott is going to be and I do I do want to add like I said that um I think his future might be again like Russell Wilson you know Wilson had a really good defensive coordinator there with you know that that and they had a really good defense and and now Dak has that Dak has that same guy and I, I mean, I'm really curious to see what what he can do with with the help that you guys are talking about 
And, you know, like it's one thing that John mentioned too. It's like the Cowboys making moves and stuff. I can't think of a trade, honestly, that I would have liked to see them make, you know, to, I mean, I don't know. I can't think of an area that, that they could have bolstered that. So I do think there's pieces there and, and that if you give Quinn more time and, and more talent that the Cowboys, I think that they'll give Dak enough help. And all this talk with Amari and, and DeMarcus, possibly, I, I, I can't wrap my mind around it. Um, you know, I try, again, I don't deal in absolute, so I try to entertain the possibility of such a thing being real. But to me, that's just absurd. I mean, it, it's a it's a big step backwards if they were to go that direction. I think that's fodder for future podcasts. I'm sure we're going to be talking about this for some time. Uh, right now, we're just sort of, you know, uh, talking about it in these sort of hushed tones because we don't want to believe that it can happen. And I hope that it remains like that because I don't want to actually have to get on here with you, Danny, and talk about um, saying farewell to, you know, to Demarcus Lawrence or to Amari Cooper. Oh. Let's let's shift gears here, though. We, we've had we've I've been sort of skirting around the issue of, you know, building a, a team, specifically an offense around a quarterback. Um, we've been talking about how the fact that, you know, a quarterback can elevate, but he can't necessarily carry a team um, single-handedly. Um, you know, we, we, I think we all probably agree that wins should not be a quarterback stat. And so, um, you know, all, all this conversation leads us to, uh, to our next game. Our next game is going to be called your wrong buddy. So how does your wrong buddy work? It's pretty simple. Uh, each person takes a stand. Uh, I'm actually going to have uh, Danny and John take a stand here on one side of a topic, and then we'll engage in a lively debate. But here's the key. Uh, each person has to begin every statement with your wrong buddy before launching into their next salient point. So today's topic, as I've just been kind of suggesting, is who deserves the lion's share of the blame for the Cowboys faltering offense down the stretch? And so in one corner, we have the great Danny Phantom, Bantam Phantom. He's a, he's a phantom weight fighter and he, he'll be, he'll be um, taking the position that in fact, it, it's Dak's fault that the offense faltered down the stretch. And in the other corner, the challenger, Weighing in at 147 pounds is um, the great John Williams, uh, undefeated um, at a lower level of competition. Um, and so uh, we're going to, and he's going to be taking the position that it was in fact the wide receiver's responsibility. So uh, here, here's, the, here's the, main, the main fight on our card. Um, as the guest, John, I will let you have the opening salvo. Why was the, uh, why were the wide receivers responsible for the Cowboys faltering down the stretch? Well, first of all, let me just say, I love wide receiver play. It's my favorite group to watch when I watch film. This was a group that looked really strong the first nine weeks of the season. Michael Gallup sat out most of that and missed a lot of time, but it was a group that played really, really well. They were making plays after the catch. They were getting open, making plays downfield. Everybody seemed to be eating both Amari Cooper's uh, CD lamb had more than 50 targets in the first nine weeks of the season. And the offense was humming, no issues, no problems. Look at the second half of the season. It didn't seem like Amari was super engaged, even though he was still getting 50 targets. You had both Michael Gallup, CD lamb, Amari Cooper from week 10 through the wildcard game. All three of those guys had more than 50 targets on the year. Amari Cooper though, 
he had some things to say on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas-Fort Worth. He had some complaints about the way the offense was running. He had issues with his, his target share. And it looked like him and Dak just weren't on the same page at times. Like I can think, I can't remember the exact game that it was, but he, you know, Amari's running looked like a little turnaround route, 10 yards at the sticks. And there's wide open space a little bit, you know, three, four yards to the, to the right of him where Dak's throwing the ball. Dak's expecting him to run into space. Amari Cooper just turns around miscommunication. I feel like that there was just something wrong with the wide receiver group in the last half of the season that didn't allow the offense to hum like it had in the first half of the season. You're wrong, buddy. You know, I, I love you, John, but um, I can't get behind this notion that Amari suddenly stopped being able to separate that, that he and CD just stopped making an impact and down the stretch. I mean, for them to catch the ball, they have to have the ball thrown to them correctly. And I really think that the big turning point was in the midseason after the New England game. It's the calf. I mean, I'll just, I just live, I live on the calf. It's not so much that it physically wasn't there, but just, just the mental um, effect that it had on Prescott. And I think for me, Dak Prescott didn't trust his body. You know, he. I think he was bound and determined not to re-aggravate the injury. And I think it, it just, I don't think he would plant off his back leg consistently. He was reluctant to take deeper shots. And I got a, I got an interesting stat for you that, I, that I'll share. But um, I just think that, you know, his, his yards per attempt took a nosedive. You know, and people will claim that Vic Fiangio, you know, found the blueprint. But what about Bill Pelichick's number two allowed points allowed defense that couldn't figure him out. I mean, Dak lit them up for 445 yards. So, I mean, to me, if there was if there was a blueprint to be found, that Bilicek would have found it. But it was after that game when Dak got hurt that just were things turned for him. And so here here's the interesting stat I want to throw out at you. So in Dak's final 10 games of the year, he threw for less than six yards per attempt seven times, seven out of the 10, less than six yards. Prior to the, the injury, he had thrown for over six yards per attempt in 29 consecutive games. So to me, Dak was just playing it safe. I mean, Dalton Schultz, he was still the same. So, I mean, I just think it was decision-making on Dak's part. He didn't trust his body. He would lay up short. He would not be able to get his th- drive into it to, to where some of the balls were being delivered a little bit late. And it just affected everything around him. I think it's Prescott's fault. You're wrong, buddy. Because look at this. In the first nine games of the season, the first nine weeks of the season, eight games, there were six drops among the Dallas Cowboys pass catchers. Three by C.D. Lamb, one by Amari Cooper, two by Dalton Schultz. In the second half of the season, week 10, through the wild card game, there were 19 drops. 19. Now, this is according to Pro Football Focus, which we know can be a little bit subjective, and these drops can be a little bit subjective. But a jump, like a three-time jump, like three times as many drops over the second half of the season, that's going to have an impact on your quarterback. Can he trust the wide receivers that he's throwing to? Absolutely, he can. He knows these guys are great players, but just something wasn't right. Their effectiveness was just a little bit off over the second half of the season. I mean, and was it Dak just trying to get these guys all more involved? But, I mean, Amari was complaining about his target share. He only saw just a few targets less than he saw in the first half of the season. 
Um, and I lost my stats because I was messing around and going too fast. But he, I mean, he was still getting fed the ball at the same rate in the second half of the season as he was in the first half of the season with Michael Gallup back in the fold. So as much as Amari Cooper wanted to talk about getting more targets, he wasn't complaining about it in the first half of the season when the offense was clicking. But in the second half of the season, when the offense really wasn't clicking and he was still getting a similar amount of the targets with another really good wide receiver back in the fold and Michael Gallup. I mean, what does he have really to complain about except the fact that he wasn't as efficient as he was in the first half and none of the wide receivers were the catch rates weren't as good. The drop rates were terrible. And as much as Dak Prescott does carry some of it, I mean, the wide receivers, they need to be held accountable for their play in the second half of the season. That's probably part of the reason why the front office is talking about cutting Amari Cooper as much as I would hate them to do that. I mean, his, his play and his consistency over the second half of the season was a lot of what Oakland Raiders fans were talking about, or now Las Vegas fans were, were talking about uh, with us when they traded for Amari Cooper to begin with. And it's this thing that we've seen. We've seen the home away splits with Amari Cooper. I mean, consistency is an issue with the guy. As great of a player as he is and can be, one of the best route runners in the NFL, love having the dude on my team, love hearing him on the sidelines and the sound from the sidelines videos that DallasCowboys.com releases. Fantastic player. I just need him to be more consistent. And I needed him, we needed all three of them to have their heads a little bit more in the game in the second half of the season. And they just seemed to be a little bit off when the, when it got down the stretch and Dak Prescott needed them to be better. They just weren't as good as they needed to be. You're wrong, buddy. I can't believe you would say mean things about Amari Cooper like that. He, I mean, think about this for a second. You know, Amari Cooper is not a diva. He, we're not talking about Terrell Owens getting together and having a meeting and saying the Dak's throwing to his BFF, Dalton Schultz. You know, and that we're talking about Amari Cooper. He's so likable. I, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm disappointed that you would even say such mean remarks about uh, Amari like that. I, I don't even have words. You're wrong, buddy. I mean, because he did. He went on. He went on Dallas radio for all the world to hear and to talk about how he wasn't getting the ball enough. Like, I don't remember Terrell Owens doing that. Like, I don't remember him going on 1310 the ticket. Uh, when they were the flagship station of the Dallas Cowboys and talking about how he needed more targets. Of course, he didn't have a show, but I mean, they had the Jason Witten show. Uh, maybe that's one of T.O.'s other complaints is he didn't have a radio show and Jason Witten did. But uh, no, I just think that like, again, love Amari Cooper. I love the, the intelligence that the guy has and brings. But again, just where he needed to be better, he needed to be more consistent. I mean, the first half of the season, they barely had Michael Gallup. They had him for one game. And where, you know, where were these guys? They needed to show up and, and be more um, consistent down the stretch. And they needed to have more chemistry with their quarterback. If that meant getting together outside of camp, then they needed to do that. You're wrong, buddy, because here's, here's one thing that you're forgetting about this whole thing. Amari Cooper, if, if he's going to complain about something, and you said it yourself, he's an intelligent guy, do you think that maybe – that there's some substance behind this. So so maybe, yes, he did complain, but maybe there's some legit reasoning for uh, for his complaints. And and all that points to maybe the guy throwing him the ball. I, mean, I think You're wrong, buddy. You're both wrong. It's not the wide receivers. It's not Dak Prescott. It is the offensive line. They were completely unable to run the ball down the stretch. After the New England game, their running game was diminished to the point where it was pathetic. 
as the season wore on, I think teams increasingly uh, showed a lack of respect for the Cowboys running game. Uh, one of the things that, um, that the Cowboys had always done in Dak's early career was when teams said, okay, well, we're going to stop the pass. Uh, the Cowboys were like, great. We're just going to hand out to Zeke and, and Zeke's going to eat. And we're going to get big chunks of yardage and force you to come back down and play eight guys in the box so that Dak and the receivers have the open space that makes both of them comfortable. Last year, they were unable to do that. And Therefore, the receivers that you're talking about, John, and the quarterback that you're talking about, Danny, were not able to, to do their thing. And it was all because the offensive line was not um, demanding that people crowd the box. And so Dak and the receivers were trying to pass the ball in crowded secondaries with seven guys because teams were getting home with four rushers. And this is compounded by the fact that um, other than Tyron Smith, uh, getting hurt. They, they, the Cowboys offensive line was remarkably healthy, although there was no end to the substitution. They were, they were remarkably healthy last year. Um, and, uh, and, you know, um, yeah, you know, we're fairly consistent. I, I want to share something that the great Bob Sturm wrote about recently in, in one of his columns on the athletic about the splits uh, at the beginning and uh, the first half of the year and the second half of the year, if I might. So, uh, he says, if you look at the season as a whole, yeah, the offensive line stats are, are, are pretty good. They were, you know, eighth in yards per carry. They were 13th in uh, EPA per rush. They were ninth, ninth in rushing yards per game, et cetera, et cetera. They were also a disappointing 32nd in penalty yards. That's the offensive line's fault. Um, so one of the things, though, that we, if we look at weeks 9 through 17, as Sturm points out, he said the numbers really took a, sub, a substantial dive. They were 27th in yards per carry. They were 22nd in rush EPA. They were 27th in yards per game. And, and the, again, way, way at the bottom of the league in penalty yards. Um, so it seems to me that something happened to the offensive line. It seems like it happened when Tyron Smith got injured at the very, very end of the New England game. That seemed that that last few minutes of the New England game seems to be the pivot on, on which the entire season turned. Dak's calf um, and and Tyron's injury both happened, you know, as the, as they won. But it felt it seems like it really cost them. But from then on, um, the, you know, the, the the offense basically began to falter. Uh, I think the, the Cowboys coaches panicked and subbed in Connor McGovern for Connor Williams. And, and I think that really messed with the continuity on the line. And, um, you know, how many times did we see Zeke grab the ball, stutter step left, stutter step right, and then, and then get, get smothered. And his first stutter step happened because, you know, some, someone had beat his man so fast that the hole he was going to run to was already had a defender in it. Uh, I think there's no question that, the, the full blame lies on the offensive line. Yeah, you're wrong, buddy. I mean, the offensive line was an issue. They, I, you can't fault that along with the, a lot of it. And this is where I feel like the wide receiver needed to step up. The wide receivers that you're paying $20 million a year to, the wide receiver that was a first-round pick, the wide receiver that's going into free agency that needs a good year to bolster his free agent options, they needed to step up and be the, the difference makers, be the playmakers, be the 88, be the, the guy that was traded for a first round pick. I mean, these were the guys that a lot of the offense was contingent upon being successful. Like because of the, the three guys that they have that are all three capable of having a thousand yard season, the Dallas Cowboys needed them to be those guys. And I just didn't feel like that they were that. I mean, the average depth of target for CD lamb, 
over the second half of the season didn't change much. Um, he was sorry, Mark. Yeah, CD Lamb was 13 on yards on his average depth of target the first half of the season. Uh, the second half of the season actually no, it dropped to 8.5. So that actually supports Danny's argument a little bit better. Here I go talking. Uh, but no, I, I, I needed them to be better. I needed the chemistry to be better. I needed them to support their quarterback better when they did get the ball, which they got a lot. I mean, they got 50 targets each, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, and Amari Cooper. You're wrong, buddy. That actually supports my argument, not Danny's argument. Because if we think about it, the depth of target relies on the offensive line holding up so that those longer routes can develop. Those longer routes weren't developing because the offensive line couldn't hold up. And so that and so they had to um, Dak had to get ball rid of the ball more quickly. And therefore he had to hit his underneath guys and or uh, the offensive brain trust had to stop calling those longer routes and those, those slower developing plays because they knew that the offensive line couldn't hold up for them to um, for those routes to be run. Yeah, I think we're all wrong, buddies. I think it's actually yeah. Kellen Moore's fault. And on that note, we will conclude this game of your wrong buddy. Well played, gentlemen. Well played indeed. Well, that was fun. John, thanks so much for coming on, dude. It was awesome getting a chance to, to, to chat with you in person after, after having so many great conversations on, on Twitter over the last couple of years. Um, you know, any, anytime you want to come on, uh, we are more than happy to have you have you come back and and chat some more it was it was awesome dude yeah it was great being on the show with you guys and, and chatting it up and getting to meet you face to face as we're talking on zoom so uh, enjoyed last week's show make sure you all subscribe to this on the blogging the boys podcast network it's great stuff they're gonna have great guests on uh, as they continue to build the show so make sure y'all check it out thank you john i don't know about you mr phantom but i had a great time chopping it up uh, with Mr. Williams. That was fantastic. I really enjoyed uh, meeting him in this space and, and talking about the Cowboys with him. Absolutely. John is such a great guy. It was, it's really nice to get, it's really nice to get him to, to argue with us. So I was, I was just really happy to, uh, to play that game with him. So that was a fun show this week, Rabs. That's it for this week, but what do we have going on next week? Ooh, I'm glad you asked me. Next week, we're going to be joined by the great Rafael Vila, the Dean of Cowboys Bloggers, and we'll be doing a little combine preview, perhaps, uh, uh, talking about some off-season planning, how the draft and the and free agency work together uh, to build a team. We might even discuss some film noir favorites. Mm-hmm. That sounds fantastic. But that's it for our show today. Tomorrow, we'll have... Cowboys Oi with Mauricio Rodriguez. And Sunday we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check both of those out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay happy. Stay true to the silver and blue. And we will catch you later. Last dismissed. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic.